Welcome to the Reset Podcast. I'm Liz Tran, an executive coach to founders and CEOs of fast-growing tech companies. And I attribute my success to my spiritual practices, which are rooted in mindfulness and Zen Buddhism. In this podcast, I combine business advice with spiritual lessons to help you lead a courageous, authentic, and fulfilled life. Hi, everyone. The topic of today's podcast episode is called happy with everything and nothing. And mostly (laughs) I'm going to be reflecting back on different times in my life when I had everything and when I had nothing and thinking about how it was really the opposite of what you might believe where I actually found this deep satisfaction, contentment, happiness during some pivotal times where it really felt like I was hitting rock bottom. And then also reflecting on times where externally it appeared that I had so much in my life that everything was quote unquote perfect, everything was aligned, but really I wasn't happy and it was really, really hard to be happy. And kind of breaking down the psychology behind that sort of unexpected mindset. I think the reason why this episode is coming up for me is because we are currently in the very, very, very thick of Mercury retrograde and talked about this a little bit last episode. And honestly, by the time you're listening to this episode, I believe Mercury retrograde will already be over. It's ending on October 18th and I'm recording this a week and a day early. So it will have been over for three or four days while you're listening to this. But regardless, It's good information to have because Mercury retrograde pops up into our lives three times a year, two, three times a year for several weeks. So it's always nice to have a framework for how to approach this time. Essentially, the way I've been experiencing it is a time of very deep nostalgia, very different from how I normally operate. I am not someone who likes to look back on the past. (laughs) I am someone who hates, well, not hates, but feels really embarrassed when I look back on the past because I change so much as a person every year that it's kind of like, ooh, cringe. That feels really hard to look at. I can't believe that those were my motivations and my behaviors back then. And I'm also someone who gets a lot of satisfaction and enjoyment from looking toward the future. I'm always planning out my next goal, always you know, thinking about how I'm gonna get to the next step. And Mercury retrograde feels like this medicine that I absolutely need to take because it forces me to look backward instead of always just looking forward. And it forces me to make sense of a lot of experiences that were painful at the time that I kind of push away or put into a box, put on top of a shelf, never look at them ever again, but they're still there. They need to be addressed. And I felt this really, really strongly this weekend. I had this crazy moment of deja vu and that deja vu happened to take place at Radio City Music Hall. For those of you who have been to New York or live in New York currently, you know that Radio City Music Hall is this classic venue that's uptown and it's where the Rockettes play during the Christmas holidays and it's near the Rockefeller tree. 
It's this iconic, amazing concert venue. And when you walk in, it's shaped like an arch and it has these speakers that are all curved and the sound in it is just so exquisite. It's just the best place to go listen to a band versus places like Terminal 5 or Bowery Ballroom, which are really fun and great for dancing, but the acoustics are total shit. So this is like music lovers heaven. And I've lived in New York for 13 years, but I've only ever been to Radio City Music Hall one other time. And that was four years ago. So as I went this weekend for the James Blake concert, I couldn't help but compare in my mind these two experiences of today, or rather now, present time, going to see James Blake with my husband, who had planned a really nice evening for us. He had bought the tickets, he had made dinner reservations, and he made sure that we were on time and that I was having fun and I didn't have to think about a single thing. Versus four years ago, actually, right before I started dating my husband, a few months before then, where I had tickets to go see Sturgill Simpson and John Prine, and I invited my ex-boyfriend, who I had run into recently, to go with me because I knew he liked both of those artists very much. I was really excited because I still had feelings for him, and I was hoping that this would be the time where we reconnect And we go to the concert, or rather we meet at a place for drinks beforehand, and he's super, super late. And not only is he super late, I'm like, okay, let's go. I don't want to miss the show. And he's like, no, 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 it'll be fine. The show is going to start late. It never starts at the time when it says that the door is open. So we stayed, and then we had a drink or two, and then we headed over to the show. And we get there and (laughs) realize that the show actually did start exactly on time. And we had missed all of Sturgill Simpson, who's my favorite, and half of John Prime. Anyway, I'm pretty disappointed. The show ends, and I had just gotten my dog, and I'm talking to him about my dog, and he's like, oh, dogs are so horrible. Who wants to pick up their poop? It's just a very bad attitude. And at the end of the night, we walked to the subway, and I'm like, oh, do you want to come home with me? And he was like, no, I can't. I have to wake up early in the morning. And then I was like, well, you always have to wake up early. So why is this different than when we were dating? And he said, I have a girlfriend. And this is the most non-committal person who I'd ever met who now suddenly had a girlfriend. And he didn't tell me that he had a girlfriend at any point during the night. And he also didn't tell me that he had a girlfriend when I invited him to the concert. And I think that probably the gracious kind thing to do would have been to say, you know, I'd love to go see the show with you. I actually am seeing someone just wanted to let you know. So if you wanted to go platonically, I'd love to do that. And if not, I completely understand, but no, he was very non-communicative. He was not planful, not organized. And as I walked up to radio city music hall that night, I had this flashback to four years ago and being at that previous show with my ex-boyfriend and now here with my husband. And it just made me reflect on how so much can change in just four years. And honestly, how much can change in just a matter of a few months. I had been in this year and a half, maybe two year long on and off relationship with this ex who was just who he was. 
He was always late to everything. He wasn't intentional about our relationship. I felt like I was always asking for more and he was always trying to pull away. He had what I think to be avoidant attachment style where I'm more of a secure, anxious person and it didn't really vibe well together. And it felt like I was always asking him to be more open-hearted and more into the relationship than he actually wanted to be, which is not a really good feeling. And I picked all wrong from the beginning. I had this pattern of always dating people who were avoidant or, you know, were fixer upper projects emotionally, where I had to do 95% of the emotional work in the relationship. And he was no different from that pattern. And that moment at Radio City Music Hall was like such a low point for me. I just remember thinking to myself, what am I doing with this person? Why have I spent the past two years pining for this person, always thinking that it's going to be different? And it obviously isn't. And he has moved on to someone else. I went home that night. I held my dog, who is still a very, very new puppy. I think he was like nine or 10 weeks old. And I just cried in his fur. And that was it. I was done with him forever. And then three months later, I started dating my husband, who I'm now married to. And now I go on great dates with him that are on time, organized, and beautiful. And because it's Mercury retrograde, a time for deep reflection and going back into the past, as I thought about that experience at Radio City Music Hall four years ago, I also started thinking about my life back then in general. And at that time, I was 32 years old. On paper, it looked like I had everything going for me. But on the inside, I was very, very sad. (laughs) I was a very sad person. And not just because of this horrible on and off thing with this ex, that was just a tiny sliver of it. In fact, I would say that the root of the problem was not the ex. The ex was just a symptom of a more generalized issue in my life. And that issue was that I cared way too much about what other people thought, and I didn't pay any attention to what I thought or what I needed, what mattered to me. On the outside, it looked like my life was phenomenal. I had this great job that was very coveted, very prestigious, and I made more money than I knew what to do with I had this beautiful apartment all by myself right on Washington Square Park. I had a new puppy. I was going on vacation to Tulum like three times a year. I was going to Paris by myself a couple times a year. I was in great shape because I was exercising all the time and eating super healthy. But if you looked close enough, it was very evident that all was not well. I was constantly stressed and exhausted on weekends after working a ton, so working like 14-hour days constantly with a crazy work travel schedule, I would sometimes just do nothing but veg and eat pasta like all weekend long and smoke cigarettes and just feel so depressed. I was tired all the time. I was hypercritical about my appearance and the way that I looked to a very unhealthy level where if I didn't exercise for one day, I would feel like a horrible human being and I would start to fear that I was gaining too much weight. Some weekends I would exercise twice a day because I felt like 
I needed to because I had pizza or whatever. I mean, it was super, super unhealthy. I was so exhausted that I felt like I was on the brink of tears all the time. One day, as I was talking to my therapist about how exhausted I was, how tired, how stressed out, and how I was doing all these things like meditation and acupuncture and going on yoga retreats and exercise to help de-stress, but I still couldn't sleep and I still felt terrible and so tired. And she said, you are so exhausted because you're constantly trying to calibrate and figure out what other people think and then altering yourself to meet those expectations. That is why you are so tired. You are tired because you are contorting yourself into a completely different person in order to be liked and respected by the people around you. And of course that's exhausting. The whole situation was so sad. I had grown up so poor and with so much financial and emotional insecurity around me that all I wanted when I grew up was to create that for myself, to know that I'd be able to pay rent, pay the electric bill and have something to eat the next day. And so I wrapped my whole life around this goal of being so wealthy that I'd never have to worry ever again. And here I was seemingly having accomplished everything I'd always dreamt of and being so sad and so dissatisfied in my own life because in order to get there, I had completely abandoned myself. That time period four years ago was the peak of my success in that industry. It was probably also the most fit and the most beautiful that I'd ever been. But I also look back on that period and the only thing I can think about is how sad I was. And then I compare that time period to last summer, which was the opposite. On paper, it should have been the worst time that I'd ever experienced. And in many ways, it was really, really hard. I mean, I was very stressed out. It was after I closed the Reset studio because of COVID and I didn't have any revenue streams and I was really struggling to make ends meet and I had tremendous financial debt that I had no idea how I was going to pay off. I mean, can you imagine having $40,000 on high interest credit cards that are going to start charging 25% interest that you have to pay off in six months when you have no income coming in and no idea how you're going to do it? And it was really stressful. I was so isolated. I was all the way in Canada, which is pretty much on the other side of the country from New York. I didn't have any friends. I was with my husband and his family, who I love, but they're really not my family. And I also didn't really know how to reach out and ask for help from anyone. I didn't really know what I could ask for help for because I actually didn't know the plan for how I was going to get myself out of this really dicey situation. But out of that rock bottom, I learned how to accept myself for who I am, regardless of what circumstances are in my life. Didn't matter how much money I had or the colossal pile of debt that was very soon coming due. It didn't matter that I didn't have a clearly articulated career path or any plan for how I was going to save myself. It just mattered that I was trying and I was showing up and I was leaning into my spiritual beliefs to help me get perspective on the situation. And I was pushing myself to learn and grow and to seek the lesson that I knew I had to learn. Because as we all know, these rock bottom moments only happen because there's something for us to learn. So I really, really worked on it. I thought, okay, life, 
Tell me what it is that I need to learn. Show me how I need to be growing right now. Push me into the direction that you need me to go. Show me why this whole experience is happening for me. What do I need to get from it? And this time of hardship slash what is also called in my mind, the summer I learned to love myself, I got married. We hadn't anticipated getting married then, but it was from this energy of embracing myself at that moment, no matter how flawed my life appeared to others, that made me wanna say, yes, I wanna commit to my husband in sickness and health for better, worse, till death do us part, because I know what that feels like to do it for me. I know what it means to stick alongside myself for better, for worse, in sickness and health, good times and bad, till death do I part with myself that now I finally know what it means to be able to commit and say that to someone else. These two experiences side by side create this juxtaposition of a time when I seemed to have everything, but I was so deeply unhappy. And then a time when I had lost everything, I had nothing, but I managed to find the joy and the meaning. And now I look back on that moment with such fondness. It was One of my favorite moments of my whole life. Was it the easiest or was it the most fun? Hell no, absolutely not. It was actually pretty terrible as I was going through it. But now it actually might be my favorite, favorite time of my whole life. And it is because that is when I learned that happiness comes from the inside. So now I have a question for you, for everyone who is listening. What would it mean to love yourself more when you're at your lowest? What would it be like if you doubled down on the self-love, the self-appreciation, the kindness and the gratitude for yourself when things were at their toughest and their most bleak? What if you could love yourself in a way that had nothing to do with what other people thought or how successful you were or how much you had accomplished? What if you could just love yourself all the time, fiercely and passionately, and especially when things were at their darkest. The next time you mess something up or you're disappointed in yourself or something doesn't go your way, can you say, right now in this moment, I choose to love myself. I choose to forgive myself. I choose to encourage myself. And I choose not to let this moment change how much I believe in myself. What if you could do this for yourself? What would it mean for your life? I have been trying this for myself for the past, I don't know, let's say year and some change. And I've really seen how much it makes a difference in my own resilience. As you guys know, I recently completed my book proposal, yay, after a year. And I recently signed with a really amazing literary agent, which is so hard to do. Yay! And I really, truly believe that this is only possible because I've doubled down on loving myself, even when times were the hardest, especially when I was failing, especially when I had nothing to show for my effort. I have not been the most talented person. (laughs) I mean, I definitely am still not the most talented writer out there, not even close. But a year ago, I was even worse. It was just bad, 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 bad. But because I had decided to love myself, even when I was failing, 
I just didn't really care. I decided to double down and to support myself, nourish myself, to encourage myself, even though my talent was like pretty non-existent at that point. I just said, you know what, Liz, that's okay. I still love you, even though you're a really bad writer, but let's help you become a better writer. So I took all these writing classes. I read all these writing books. And every day when I'd sit down and write, even if it was complete garbage, I'd still cheer myself on. And to be honest, that's the only way to do it. Imagine if my self-worth had been contingent on how well I was producing, how well I was writing, how much success I was having in writing. If I had let myself care about any of those things, I would have just given up on writing because for the better part of the year, I was producing pure garbage. And there were moments that were beautiful where I'd write something that I was really proud of. But for the most part, it felt like a pretty awful slog, like trying to ride a bike for the first time or trying to speak a language that you only studied for a year in eighth grade or being in a room where it's all these people who you haven't met before and trying to make small talk, even though you're really nervous. Every time I sat down to write, I was reminded of what a novice I was and how much farther I had to go. It's really funny because now I look back on this past year with so much fondness. I feel so tender and so proud of myself and so happy for all of those days when I sat down and writing just felt so hard, so awful. And when I read on the page just seemed so unsatisfying and just failing miserably. That was actually my favorite time. And now that I have had all these agents who are interested and the book is going to get sold to a publisher, great. All of those huge mile markers that everyone else in my life will applaud, that everyone else will say, wow, that's great. You did it. You should be so proud of yourself. To me, they are so unimportant compared to this past year I've had where no one was giving me any pats on the back where I wasn't producing anything that people could praise me for. But that's the work. That is the core of all of it. That is the heart of this book, is that year when no one really knew what I was doing, no one really believed in me. I didn't even really believe in myself or think what I was doing was that great. I still loved myself. And it's funny because after signing with this agent, my husband was like, let's go celebrate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is so great. I'm so proud of you. And he called everyone he knew and he told everyone how proud he was of me. But I didn't really feel that for myself. I didn't really care that much. Of course, I was really, really happy. But the proudest moment was three weeks before then when I sent my proposal out into the world. When I emailed all of those random cold email addresses to see if someone anyone, any agent out there might be vaguely interested in what I had to say. And this is before I heard back from agents. It's before I signed with an agent. It was still a moment of unknowing. It was still a moment where I wasn't sure if anyone cared about what I had written. But to me, that didn't matter because I knew that I loved what I had written. And I knew that I had worked so hard for a year to get myself to that position where I could hit send on these book proposals. The image I have in my mind to describe all of this are the seasons. Obviously, everyone loves spring and summer. 
because they're gorgeous. It's warm and the plants are green. The flowers are blossoming. It smells so good. There's so much life in the air. There are birds chirping. There are butterflies flitting around and it's just magical. Of course, everyone loves spring and summer unless you have allergies, which might make spring a little hard. In this way where I am embracing the times when I'm flawed and the times when I don't have anything, it's like me saying how much I love winter. I've learned to love winter. I've learned to love myself in the proverbial winter of the soul. And what happens during winter is there's a lot going on. It may seem like the plants and the trees are completely dead, but they're not. The roots are still growing and developing. Plants are still looking for nutrients and all these amazing processes are happening where sugars and starches are changed into energy. And before plants bloom, they're developing these buds. Inside of every bud, there's a tiny but complete flower. And even though none of us can see it with our naked eyes, that flower still exists within. No one is saying, oh, wow, such beautiful buds. I love buds. Only when they bloom that we acknowledge how gorgeous the plant actually is. But what we're missing out on is there is still a fully complete, perfect flower that is hidden within that bud. And that is how I think about my past year before I signed with my agent. That beautiful book was still there, even when it was just a bud even before it was a bud and the tree looked completely barren. It was always going to become a beautiful flower, but it just didn't seem like that to anyone except for me. So what about your life? What parts of your life does this resonate with? Can you love the barren, desolate times as much as you love the full bloom? Can you embrace yourself when there isn't much going on to talk about, when there isn't much to show, when there isn't any external validation, can you still have faith and confidence that this barren time is going to turn into a blossom? So that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. You guys have been sharing the podcast so much on Instagram. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There are more and more listeners every week and it's so exciting to see and I owe it all to you. So thank you so much. In four days time, I'm going to be attending an ayahuasca ceremony. I think it's my like fifth or sixth or fourth, something like that over the course of, I don't know, maybe four years. I can't quite remember, but it's been a few years of going to these ceremonies every so often. And I just felt like I was due for a cosmic tune-up how I like to think about ayahuasca. So I will be back in future episodes to share with you all the revelations that I had. Hopefully they will be interesting and relevant and timely. And if not, I'll find something else to talk about. So hope you guys have a great week. I hope you are recovering from Mercury retrograde and that things are now finally feeling like they're moving forward for you. Bye and see you guys next time.